Um, this is a new episode of the Sorry Internet Podcast. This is the college football series. Uh, I think this is our CFB-003. So it's our fourth episode overall. It's our third proper episode. Uh, we have a special guest today. We have normal co-host Andy. And we also Yay. have uh, special guest Andy Hutchins, who is uh, the, gu- the man in charge of Alligator Army, which is the Florida Gators' official blog for SB Nation. Um, Andy Hutchins, would you like to introduce yourself in any other way? Hi, I'm Andy. That's that's fine. We're going to call me Hutchins for the durations of the podcast so that no one's confused, but I go by Andy. Yeah, so we're going to call him Hutchins because we already have an Andy here. Um, I took Andy. <laughs> yeah. Squatters rights. It's squatters rights. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we're going to talk about some Florida Georgia. We're going to talk about whatever else comes up. Um, so, first off, did, did either of you all go, go to the game this weekend? I did. I did not. See, now I'm jealous. Yep, I was there. (laughs) This was the first Florida Georgia in a couple years, so I was glad to be back. Glad to see. uh, Glad to see us beat uh, Mr. Richt again. How was your uh, How was your game day experience? It was good, man. You know, for as much shit as we give Georgia, like they're not all that bad as of fans. Like they're they're usually pretty good. Uh, there's something about that stadium though, the way they set it up where it's split right at the middle. Like that's just such a surreal experience when it's a close game and stuff's going well, you know, we didn't get this, this, this last game, but when it's like a close one and it's really intense, having those sides that close, it's crazy. It's, it's really interesting. Um, and then it's always fun when you, when you're up a couple touchdowns to see that teal start peeking through and then when the end of the game comes around there's one side packed still and the other side's entirely gone it's it's just different there's n- there's nothing quite like it yeah that's the teal of the of the jaguar seats you're saying right right uh andy hutchins have, have you done a, a for a georgia game or two yeah the only one i ever went to was 2012 so I, I definitely got the close game experience and i got the the feeling of how it is when it's going wrong oh my god uh, 20 that's a, that's a that's a heartbreaking year to go yeah i mean it was the only game that i went to that year um, in the regular season, it was a loss. I think I went to pretty much every game that season because it was my senior year at Florida, and it was you know obviously a thing that made sense to just go get student tickets and do a lot of fun stuff. But Florida Georgia that year was not uh, was not a very fun experience. No, and um, I mean there are certain I think there are certain parallels between our current season and our 2012 season, uh, mainly in that I don't think in either year we were really expected to be all all do doing all that well compared to how we did then and how we're doing now so i, I want to ask you obviously it feels way different from a fan perspective but i think people at at the time in in 2012 like we were we were winning all these games and we obviously lost the close one of georgia that was the only regular season game we lost and we didn't wind up winning the east that year but you know that was only much champ's second year there was a lot of hope and there was a lot of good vibes even though we had a really boring offense um, so I guess to kind of kick off before we get into like the specifics of the game, um, I, I want to ask you like kind of ha- how you think, uh, the, the fan vibe is different from, from that year to this year. I think there's a lot more relief this year. That year, 2012 was, I think sort of a Rube Goldenberg machine that everything just sort of went right in ways that maybe we didn't think were going to go right. Whereas this year you think, okay, there's a little bit more of an offense. Antonio Callaway at least is out there doing things every Saturday. So you can think, okay, this is a more competent offense, and these things are working out as they should be. Whereas that 2012 year was, 
I know it was a lot easier for a lot of people to dismiss it as luck, but the fact is that this 2015 year, when you look at things that people describe as luck, whether it's turnover margin, fumbles recovered especially, is mm-hmm. a luck thing. You know, I think you can point out a lot of parallels. Um, the expectations are another parallel. I don't think a whole lot of people going into 2012 thought, you know, Florida was 7-6 and six in 2011 and really won that bowl game against Ohio State with an offense that it wasn't going to run in 2012. So that was not a thing that people thought, okay, this is something sustainable here. It was, yeah, maybe we'll get back to eight wins and four losses or something like that. And then going 11-1 and one in the regular season and obviously knocking off some top 10 teams along the way. You know, that was everyone was thinking that this is the way that this is going to be. You know, maybe uh, you're not you're not necessarily going to have an offense nearly this hamstrung in 2013 and forward, but people were definitely optimistic at the end of 2012 that Muschamp had come up with a formula that even if it wasn't really pretty, you're going to be able to win a lot of games with it. And now I think you've got that sort of feeling about you know if you've married Will Muschamp's defense, which a lot of people I think still think this Florida defense is, with Jim McElwain's offense. Now you've got a formula that's going to be pretty good going forward. And I think the other thing, too, is that Florida's better positioned to go land the sorts of recruits this year uh, than it was in 2012 that are going to make things on offense more sustainable. You know, the 2012 season was really good, but what it ended up landing Florida, when you look at the recruits that came in, was Calvin Taylor, who is good, but obviously I don't think a game-breaker in any way. When you compare him to somebody like Dalvin Cook, who was slated to come in after 2013, and obviously... That situation went south. Um, but that 2013 recruiting class was Kelvin Taylor, um, Ahmad Fullwood, who's done essentially nothing to this point. <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> and Demarcus Robinson, who's done some stuff but did more in 2014 than he's done in 2015. So, you know, these skill players that you can bring in this year, whether it's a Freddie Swain who's already committed, Nick mm-hmm. Myers who's maybe on the way, you know, the haul that you could bring in this year so far outclasses what – Florida brought in 2012 on offense and 2013's recruiting class. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. it's crazy. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that too because I, I kind of wonder. I've only gotten su- into like following the recruiting super closely the past like two three years. Um, so like I I was not really paying attention when we recruited Kelvin Taylor and we recruited that 2012 class. So I, I in the meantime I've been wondering whether it seems better because I'm paying attention to it or if it seems better because it's actually better. But what you're saying kind of reaffirms the fact that there is just a lot more uh, like positive energy around uh, recruiting circles for Florida this year as opposed to the last time we were like kind of really good. And I think one of the major differences, too, is that where the players are coming in. That 2012 into 2013, the 2013 Florida recruiting class was really a well-rated class. You know, Fullwood and Robinson were both four-star. Fullwood, I think, was even a five-star at some point in that cycle. Kelvin Taylor's a five-star. You know, these guys were highly rated, but they were maybe not necessarily the exact sort of player that you really needed to have in that offense. You know, Matt Jones was a better fit for Will Muschamp's offense than Kelvin Taylor was. Mm -hmm. You know, and Kelvin Taylor, I think, is a better fit for this McIlwain offense than he was for Muschamp's. So it it matters what players you bring in and the talents they bring to whatever team they're coming to. It's not just a stars thing. And I think that's one thing that you can point to this 2015-2016 class and say, okay, these guys are going to fit in the McIlwain offense. This guy's going to be Antonio Callaway 2.0, or this guy's going to be you know, a better Kelvin Taylor, or this guy's going to be somebody who can you know, maybe play more like Trent Richardson did at Alabama for McIlwain. And I think those guys, especially on offense, which is where Florida really needs to start restocking talent, mm-hmm. 
you know, you can point to guys and say, okay, this guy's going to be good. This guy's going to be better than we think we've gotten from the last three years. This guy's going to fill this role. And I don't think that's something that you could necessarily point to the 2013 class and say, yeah, this guy's going to come in and play like this person in you know, Brent Pease's offense. And partly that's because we really weren't familiar with the Brent Pease Boise State offense, whereas we think we've got a better grasp on what this Jim McElwain, Doug Nussmeyer, Alabama one-back hybrid thing is. Definitely. Uh, you know, the other thing, too, is that you've got a quarterback now, or you've got at least 1.5 quarterbacks that I think you can be very confident in. Whereas I don't think, especially after the Sugar Bowl and the fact that Jeff Dross threw a pick six to begin that game. Oh, man. I was at that you game. Know, that yeah, was that was rough. I was there, too. It was not, oh, it was we not exactly a really exciting offensive game, let's no. say. It was awful, and, and we got pretty junk in, uh, on Bourbon Street after that. Um but okay, so getting into like the game a little more specifically, and you just mentioned Antonio Callaway. Um, it was not a super pretty game. Uh, four to one, basically on the strength of its defense, creating five turnovers, uh, two, three turnovers before what we're calling garbage time, which is whatever um, whatever SB Nation calls garbage time these these days. Uh, so basically, in the first three quarters, uh, one of the touchdowns was a fumble recovery off a miffed a muffed punt in the in the end zone that was an easy one uh but then antonio calloway did have a really nice uh game-changing play there so wh- whoever wants to hop in here uh let's talk about a little bit about antonio calloway yeah so i'm trying to think back you know because i've been a gator fan for forever i'm trying to think back how much percy had an impact in his freshman season if it was on the same scale and i don't know if it was just because we had a more decent offense or we were used to having a decent offense but my gut feeling at least right now is that Callaway is just bringing something that and you trying to get my thoughts straight I think it's just because we've had such sort of a poor offense the past couple years it's just exciting to have a guy I mean the dude was one catch away from tying LSU and he basically had it. It was a great defensive play. It's just yeah, the, great. The catch where he was going up in the end zone. You mean? Right. And you know, if yeah. you watch it, he pretty much had the catch. It was just mm-hmm. a great defensive play by LSU. It was, it's just exciting to see this, see a kid who's so young. Cause I mean, we have these players who are sort of starting to develop and you know, Hargraves is gone after this year and it's exciting to see a kid young doing what we're sort of expecting Florida players to do and knowing that, Hey, we have, you know, a couple more years of this kid. He's he's just now starting. It's sort of a glimpse of what I think uh, McElwain can do with some of these players. And it's, I'm just glad to have some firepower on offense again. You know, somebody to watch and somebody to be excited about. So here's the thing I think is really interesting about Callaway is that Percy, Percy Harvin's obviously the touchdown because he was the guy who came in as a freshman. You know, older Florida fans who are slightly older than we are even could point to Riddell Anthony, who was really good as a freshman. And that, it was a 94, 93-94 recruiting class, whichever one it is, that was really great. It had Riddell Anthony, Ike Hillier, Jacquez Green. Obviously, it's going to be the best Florida recruiting class of receivers in history, right? But Percy, who the people of you know our generation think of as the be-all and end-all freshman, had, in his freshman year, 34 catches, 427 yards, two touchdowns. That's his receiving stats. Now, granted, he doubled that up on you know, the running game. He... 40, 41 carries, 428 yards, three touchdowns there. But here's what Antonio Callaway has through eight games this year. 19 catches, 418 yards, three touchdowns. So he's nine yards behind what Percy Harvin had as a receiver as a freshman and a touchdown ahead and has done it on 15 fewer catches. 
Like, that's some significant production. And granted, he's not doing the same things in the running game, and I don't think Callaway's nearly the athlete that Percy was. And he's done some more stuff in the return game, which Percy never really did at Florida. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's the sort of production, especially when you translate it to a team that's not nearly as good on offense and doesn't have nearly as many different weapons, that you think, wow, this kid's really good. He's really special. He's 17th in the SEC in receiving yards right now. And granted, 17th in a conference with a bunch of really good receivers is not great, but he's obviously well ahead of Demarcus Robinson at this point. Oh, yeah. He's, you know, he's done things that we think are definitely going to be good things for the future. It's not just him getting hot for a few weeks. He's done things that make me think, okay, he's going to be good. And, and when you look at that stat, I, I know he's like leading the SEC in yards per reception, which I think is around 20 or 22, something like that. Um, he's at 22 flat. Yep, and that obviously comes, like, that. it's helped out by a, a long one versus Tennessee, a long one in this past game against Georgia. He's had a couple other long ones. Um, but then you consider the fact that he, we didn't use him all that much in the first two games. Uh, he was right. still really getting his footing. It seems like he really popped out um, in Kentucky, and since then he's been a much larger part of the game plan. And like, like Andy was saying earlier, um, it's just crazy for me to – to, to look to, to look at our team play offense and realize that he is truly the number one option in the passing game. Like, we, we came into the year uh, with Demarcus Robinson, obviously. We knew that Jake McGee was going to catch a bunch of balls, which he has. Um, he, he's sort of the guy that they trust underneath. And, and then in the first couple of games, it kind of seemed like Brandon Powell was going to be a reliable option. But Callaway has proved already to be more reliable than all those guys. Yep. It's definitely a weird thing to think that, you know, Jim McElwain comes from Colorado State. Last year at Colorado State, he had a guy named Rashard Higgins who led FBS, really, in, I think, both yards and maybe touchdown catches. Definitely in touchdown catches. Yeah, he was he was the guy that everyone thought, okay, this is what Demarcus Robinson is going to be in Florida's offense next year. And then McElwain spent most of the offseason talking about, okay, we've got to have our get-it-to guys, our get-it-to plays. We have to know when we can just rely on somebody to be the guy. And Robinson's been okay in that respect, but most of his catches, it feels like to me, and I'm not necessarily sure whether the play-by-play would back me up on this, most of his catches feel like they're these little three-yard three screens or five-yard runs that he's turning into, like, ten-yard catches. Whereas Callaway's the guy running routes. He's the guy coming back to the ball, as he did the second big catch he got against Georgia. He's doing veteran receiver things that I don't think people thought that he was going to be able to do or that really people thought any Florida receiver was going to be able to do. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and it, it's kind of compounded by the fact that um, when he committed to Florida, like, he wasn't particularly highly ranked. Uh, it kind of went under the radar as on National Signing Day. We wound up with Martez Ivy and C.C. Jefferson. Um, so he was easily, like, only the third most impressive commit that we got that day. And he, he has by far been our most impactful freshman this year. Yeah, and I honestly think because you can point to Jordan Scarlett and Jordan Cronkite, he might be fifth most impressive on that day. You know, he was the guy who people thought was maybe going to be a good receiver in this offense this fall. I don't think anyone projected him as the go-to receiver. I no, don't think anyone no thought he was going to have this sort of year. You know, this is well beyond expectations, which is really nice to see. Yeah, definitely. And uh, obviously, we, we, we did think that we were going to be relying on our defense, and while the offense has sort of been above expectations i think it's safe to say in this past couple of games with treon uh it is going to be the type of season where uh going forward that is uh we are still relying on our defense and, and maybe hoping for it, it, you know it, it can basically be 
compared to a, a must-champ-ish team where we're relying on defense, but we know we're going to get more out of the offense than we did in those years. Uh, do you all think that's that's pretty fair? Yeah, you know, I think that's a great example. It's felt different with Treon than with Greer, and it's I think that's the best way to describe it is it feels like all of those games where the defense kept us in those games and you're just like, man, if we could just pull off one or two plays, we would have this game. We're with McIlwain, we're able to pull off those handful of plays. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes a bit more than that, but it definitely feels like we're starting to get a little sluggish in the, in that sort of must champ way we were before. I think I saw that, you know, Treyon on, on third down, I don't think was all that great last week. Yeah. I mean, he started out like um, two for 12, so. Right. And it was not necessarily what was going on. It was just sort of the vibe. You know, it was a little like frustrating to watch it because you'd get in these positions and then it would sort of fall apart and it felt reminiscent of sort of those must champ things. But you're definitely getting a lot more production out of it and you're able to win those games that, you know, last year I feel like we should have won. Yeah, and, and, and Andy Hutchins, I know that you wrote this, but I was talking about this uh, when I was watching the game with my friend Matt. Um, Vernon almost had that pick six that it seems like he's never going to get. <laughs> he wants that so bad. <laughs> I mean, he deserves it, right? Like, there's no other player who he, he I would say, yeah, this guy definitely deserves to have a pick six. But you know, I wrote, he's got four this year that have been at least 20-yard returns, which I don't think I've ever seen before. I, I mean, it's... It's really rare for a guy to get returns on every interception, much less like slightly longer than just a few yards and then fall down returns. But he's managed to get four 20-yard returns and never get closer than the five, which, I, I mean, like, I don't even know. It's, it's just insane to think that he's never going to get one because that's what – I mean, the trends are that he's never going to get one, but it's insane to think that that might actually happen. I, I just have a hypothesis that he's just waiting for the FSU game or the SEC championship <laughs> game. He's just waiting for when it's going to count. That would be great, right? Yeah, it, it, would be, it would be a perfect thing. Um, I think to kind of wrap up on the Florida stuff, um, I, I just have like this, this overall feeling this season of complete enjoyment. Like I, I, I get anxious for games. I got anxious for the Georgia game. I was very anxious for LSU, obviously. Um, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm not anxious for Vanderbilt because they have a really good defense. I know their offense is bad, but we've got two offensive linemen who look like they're going to be out. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm slightly anxious for, for Vanderbilt, even though we've been playing so good. But all, well, that's all just things, being a good Florida fan. Yeah, and all things considered, you know, we had no expectations this year. We were all hoping as a general fan base, like, you know, seven, eight wins would be great. Nine wins seems like you're pushing it. Uh, ten wins just seemed unrealistic for a while. And, and now – it's looking like 10 wins is a very, very real possibility. We might have 11 wins in the regular season. Um, I want to ask both of you, when was the when was the last time that a Florida season just seemed this enjoyable overall? You know, the 2012 season was fun because you kind of felt like you could win every game, where I definitely didn't feel like that in all of Muschamp's seasons, but it it's nothing like this year. Like, I think, not that I'm confident in every game, but it's fun. Like there's, I'm having fun again and we hadn't had fun for a couple of years. And it's just like, even in the LSU game, man, like we were down by a couple touchdowns and I had given up and to watch this team fight back. And like, I don't think I ever really thought we could win, but that's all I wanted was to fight back and be within a drop touchdown in the end zone, you know? And it's just, 
there's hope for the future. There was not hope a couple years ago. I felt like I was looking forward, like, well, what do we do at this point? You know, the trends, nothing's been getting better. What are we going to do? And now it's like there's all of this possible hope. And, you know, it's probably going to narrow down and change a little bit. But it's fun and there's hope again. Like, the, <laughs> that's I mean, all I that's can really ask for. I mean, that's the thing, right? It's, hope is really all you can ask for as a fan. You can't, you know, you don't deserve anything specifically. And you can't really, because these kids are 18 and 19 and 20-year-olds, you can't expect anything for sure. But you're, if you're buying a ticket or if you're sitting down to watch a game, what you're asking for is hope. And that was, I think, and I've written about this at length. I think that was the thing that really doomed Muschamp more than anything. So Florida fans who I think tend toward existential dread just as a natural state of being. Like, there's okay. there's significant dread in Florida fans just because the history and the DNA of the program going back even beyond Steve Spurrier is, okay, something really good is going to happen, but something bad's going to happen too. Um, and I think, you know, having... 2012 be and I thought 2012 was a really enjoyable season partly because I was there and I think a lot of those games were far more fun in person than they were on television um I think the way that 2012 sort of dissolved and all the good feeling dissolved in that sugar bowl especially for people who were watching it on television and hadn't you know had any libations on Bourbon Street before the game that, I think, made a lot of people, you know, the, ex the existential dread that you were maybe able to put off for most of 2012 came back, and it came back in force. And that 2013 offseason felt like, okay, well, hopefully things get better. This team should be better, even if the record's not better. And then August rolled around, Jeff Driscoll's out with an appendectomy, Matt Jones has whatever weird illness that he had that never got revealed. You know, everything ended up going wrong in 2013, and it confirmed all the existential dread. And then you go into 2014, and all of that's there, and the hope is sort of kind of there, but then you know, Alabama really smashed a lot of it for a lot of people. Uh, Missouri, obviously, I, I was on the Fire Muschamp train right after Missouri, and I was the conductor of the, okay, hold on, wait it out, let's see. But that was the point at which the hope was gone. And firing Muschamp, you know, even if they'll never say they fired him, quote-unquote, and getting a new guy was all you really needed to add some hope back to the fan base. But winning games, and winning games especially in the way that Florida has this year, whether it's with the comeback at Tennessee, which was, I think, one of the better comebacks in Florida's history, the win over Ole Miss. The Ole Miss win is one of the blowouts that I don't think anyone expected, and it's it's close to unprecedented in Florida's history, too. Oh, yeah. Now, these are these sorts of wins that I think get you on the track, not just from going to you know, whatever the baseline level of Florida fan hope was to, okay, this team is really good and we can hope for something more than just winning games really, really quickly. And I think that's the signature achievement of this year. No matter what happens in these last four or five games, you know, the hope is back. Hope is what everyone wants. And I think the momentum that you derive from hope is something that I think is actually going to last. Hope, you know, if you get fans and stands, you can say we've achieved whatever level of hope fans need to have such that they're coming to games and supporting us it's how it translates to recruiting booster support you know winning games in the future based on what happened now those things come later you've the first job was hope and McElwain's done that job perfectly and i don't think there's any question that he's going to be well remembered for this season for that reason definitely i think everybody was just hoping to see um some semblance of 
forward progress this year and it's safe to say that that's way ahead of schedule uh and just just you saying that like i was thinking like before the season we were we were all wondering are we going to go two and two or three and one in september like which Mm -hmm. of those streaks are going to end right yeah we were wondering if we were going to win a game in october and we get through both those months seven and one it's pretty unbelievable um it i don't know it just feels like a great time all that stuff that you just said it just feels like a really great time to be a gator fan yeah it's absolutely like this is the thing that Florida fans missed for the last three years. And I think FSU being up to sort of hurt that, oh, yeah. that you could feel like your team has a chance on every Saturday. That was not something that existed in 2013, 2014. And it was made more acutely painful by the fact that the closest rival to Florida, whether or not, you know, Florida states, every Florida fans most hated rival. There's some Georgia fan haters and there's some Miami fan haters in the base, but you know, I think having a rival up as far as FSU was and Florida being as down as it was, even despite the fact that I think Florida was not necessarily as down as maybe its record made it seem because some of the underlying performance was better than people give it credit for, that hurt more. And so once you see Florida coming back up and FSU, I think, coming down, obviously, this year, you feel a whole lot better about things. And I think Florida fans may be doing a little bit of that comparative measuring or feeling better, too. I absolutely agree with that. The only way that a four and eight season could get worse is if FSU won the title in the same year. And, exactly. I mean, that's that's just the worst season in Florida football, just of of any sort yeah. of recent memory. Yeah, it was rough. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to hit before we let Andy Hutchins go? I didn't know if we wanted to talk real briefly about the Cronkite uh, ejection. Sure, we can. I think it's fine. Like, I'm not. I'm a person who thinks player safety matters, and I think that the letter of the law, as the targeting rule is written, is broad enough that you're going to get calls like that that are maybe sort of borderline calls and make a lot of people mad. But I would rather err on the side of caution and the side that says, you've got to be really careful what you're doing on a football field because you could hurt somebody. You know, we saw the, the Cowboys game yesterday, obviously. NFL, college, there's a difference in speed and weight differentials. But that was a legal-ish play in that game. It was a blindside block based on the fact that the guy was in position and the guy was turning his head to see him. Um, And it still creates, obviously, a very significant injury and one that I think a lot of people would rather not football have. So if you can legislate out that by legislating out some of the other things that are closer to actually being, you know, targeting or vicious or whatever you want to say, I I think it's a good thing. I do do agree with you. I I just wonder, like, I'm all for, like that ref's first instinct should be to throw that flag. I was just very surprised that when they went back to review it, uh, they actually upheld it. Because it really looked like he hit him on the side in the first place, and he didn't lead with his head, and it really looked like he led with his arms. Yeah, it did. I think one of the things that you think of, if you're a ref there, is you are not you can't know intent, really. Right. So you've got to determine what the result was. And I do think his helmet made contact, Cronkite's helmet, with above-the-shoulder pads, like, the area where you would not necessarily want contact to occur. And, you know, I'm okay with it. It's not something that I'm, you know, I think this is obviously the thing that had to happen. But I'm okay with the call. It's in the penumbra of doubt that I'm, you know, I, I just throw up my hands and say, all right, fine. The ref's going to call whatever right. the ref wants to call. Yeah, the way you've covered it, and, and it's similar to what McElwain said, I, I think it's a good uh, assessment of it. You know, it's it happened. You know, it's definitely better to err on the side of caution. Uh, for whatever it's worth, I it didn't seem to me like Cronkite had any 
you know, it wasn't, it didn't seem malicious to me. It seemed like he just tried to hit the guy and it looked angrier than it actually, actually was. But yeah, I, I agree with, with what you uh, both were saying. It's, you know, if that's what happened and that's better to err on the side of safety, that's what needed to happen. Andy, how how that one feel inside the stadium when they said that, um, that he was out? You know, it, everybody, it, you didn't get a lot of replays. You only got like one or two while we were in there. Naturally. And it was one of those things where you're in the moment and everybody's like, these refs are just stupid. You know, clearly he didn't, that wasn't. And I, I mean, even now I think you can talk to people and I think there's an argument. Yeah, maybe it shouldn't have been, but if you step back and you look at it as the overall player safety thing, which you should, I think it, you know, if that's what happens to happen, that's what needed to happen. But, you know, in the stadium, people were just mad. Okay, so one more thank you to Andy Hutchins for joining us. Um, Very good to have you on, dude. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So that was Andy Hutchins that we just had on. Now we have your normal co-hosts. Uh, this is me, and we have Andy Maroon, and we have Pat. Pat, say hello. It me. It Pat. Pat, how was your how was your first weekend, buddy? It was great. Uh, that was I took last year off, and um, so it was kind of nice to go back. And uh, Megan also came. She had never been, so that was nice. Um, the first day we only were able to catch like four bands, but it was still pretty solid. We saw uh, the Menzingers. Oh yeah! And I made uh, Megan do her first crowd surf ever. Hell yeah! Which was awesome. Um, she liked it a lot, but she got some bruises, which I don't think she was expecting. <laughs> that's how that's but, how life rolls when you're in the fast lane, Megan. Yeah. Um, we also saw um, the Sidekicks, who are awesome. One of my favorite albums so far this year. Your AOD. Uh, Yes, um, we saw Me Without You and Pianos Become the Teeth, both of whom released albums I liked a lot uh, the last two years, so that was cool. And then Saturday was um, awesome, too. Um, Saturday usually seems to line up with most of the heavy bands, so got to see some heavier music. That was cool. And got to see the Buds and Echo Bass who provide our lovely theme song. Love it playing their first fest all in all it was a great uh got to see felix culpa one of my favorite bands ever from my hometown um that's kind of nuts they've they been broken up for a long time well they got back together last year but this was the first time i saw them since their breakup show in 2011 gotcha. so that was cool um didn't get to see anybody sunday because we had a long drive back but all in all it was a pretty great fest experience Alrighty, let's start. Let's start talking about some week nine action. Uh, I want to start in the ACC for a couple of reasons. Um, yeah, let's talk about Miami and Duke. <laughs> oh yeah, let's get into it. This was a nightmare. Uh, Andy, did you happen to see this? Were you back home by the time this? I actually did. Yeah, d- this is like I watched five plays of not Florida, and these were five of them. Yeah. So on the last play of this game. Uh, <laughs> You know, in my in my scoring app, this is described as a corn elder ninety one yard kick return. That is sure. not nearly de- <laughs> that is not nearly descriptive no. of what that play was. Uh, the interesting thing is here, and I don't think that we'll ever see this again. Duke rushing touchdown six seconds left. Miami kick return touchdown zero seconds left. That is a truly insane thing. Uh, Miami won this game thirty to twenty seven. 
after winning, after scoring on a last-second kick return with zeros on the clock, after throwing eight laterals, one of which was thrown by a player whose knee was on the ground uh, during a run back, which included a very blatant block, block in the back, which was called, and the penalty was then thrown away for some reason. Uh, the ACC crew who was working this game is now suspended, uh, pretty rightfully so, but unfortunately there's no way to go back and give Duke the win, which they certainly... Uh, if you're just going to look at that last play, and you're going to say this dude was down while he was trying to ladder the ball, uh, he should have been marked down, the game should have been over, Duke should have won. Is that fair? So what I was reading was that there was a chance that they could reverse it because when his knee was down, the clock was already zero seconds. So there wasn't any chance for them to have done anything otherwise. Right. Cause you know, you can't like call play back if, and you know, re- reverse a score if something happened and maybe there was time left or something, but because it was zero zero and then his knee was down, what I was reading was that if they wanted to, they could go back and and switch it and just let Duke have the win. How much and they were just they didn't do and that. they were just like nah, <laughs> we're not going to do that. I guess because I mean that would be that would be crazy. Like I don't, I guess I don't know. How, how I, much I, of I good old Joe Robbie Stadium, where the professional Miami football Dolphins as well as the amateur Miami football Hurricanes play it's their a, it's home a games? How much would that for be college on, football action? It sure is, but how much of that would be on fire today? <laughs> oh yeah, man. That would not be good. I would just. I thought it was funny that the ACC suspended those refs, but then they still gave Corn Elder the player of yeah, the week. That's that's the <laughs> Plus, most ACC thing that's ever happened. Yeah, talk about a name, man. Corn, Corn, Corn. Elder. That guy probably. That what guy a probably name. Should have gone to Nebraska or Iowa. He could have been undefeated yeah. instead of being at Miami. <laughs> oh man, Corn Elder. I wonder how many how his his Twitter handle is at Air Corn. Of course. I just thoughts. like said his name and I made sure that I had it right. Thomas, the thoughts but even saying it at it's felt wrong coming the out. The thoughts are negative. The thoughts are negative. You didn't have to ask. Let's, I wanna look up this dude. I wanna look up oh, he's from Nashville, Tennessee. Um he was he was a, a four star recruit in high school. Good for him. Uh, and he did have an offer from Iowa, which is what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay, so yeah, this, this is a nightmare. I want to I want to talk about this a little more though from a different perspective. I want both of you to tell me what if this was your team, if your team was either Miami or Duke. Um, what a scary thought. Gi- but yeah, okay. Give me it from both angles. Do you think the game? Do you think? the game should be able to be like overturned somehow like that posthumously duke is said to have won let me put it this way well, if i'm a fan of either team i'm pissed um right i'm i'm with that if i'm a fan of miami i'm pissed that like they even had to discuss this and that we let the game come down to a freak play like this if i'm a fan of duke i'm pissed that we didn't get a win that like by camera evidence is ours oh yeah it's it's a hundred percent should have been a Duke win, and now you don't have a win where you were supposed to. That's a good analysis es- of that, especially for Duke, considering with I mean now with this loss and North Carolina beating Pitt, their chances of getting into the ACC championship game are pretty much done. Well, uh, all they have to do is beat North Carolina, yeah. Um, 
well, I mean, sure, but then there would be the whole tiebreaker scenario and stuff like that. If they win the game like they should have, then they're right up there with North Carolina. And, you know, there's no sort of scenario with that. It's just they're both on the top. Right. Good point. Andy, g- give me your rundown. Do, do you think that this game... It's... Yeah. You know, it's there's no good answer. I mean, there's no right way for anybody to deal with this because I think Pat's right. You're pissed regardless of which side you're on. Either your win's getting belittled because you didn't Mm -hmm. get it or you didn't get a win that you deserve. So what do you do? Both teams are kind of screwed. There's no right way to call this if you don't call it right on the field. I mean, if you're Miami, you just got to be happy that they made the mistake and they're not reversing it. Yeah, it's a. It's, I mean, you're you still got to live with the fact that you kind of didn't win, but at least you have the W in the column. And I mean, I there's no scenario that works out where somebody's happy. I feel kind, like kind of all I can think about is that if I'm a Duke fan, just how empty you must feel. Like, oh yeah, we're very lucky as a college football nation and uh, community that this happened in Miami versus Duke, and not let's say Alabama LSU. <laughs> or Clemson, Florida State. Oh, God. Or, you know, Michigan State, uh, Ohio State, which is a game that's still going to be played. TCU, Baylor. Just imagine if some. I don't even want to think about Horrendous that. shit like this happened. And, like, what that would have to mean for the playoff committee. Like, I can't. I almost want it to happen. I don't want it to happen to Florida. <laughs> but I want it to happen <laughs> right. to TCU, Baylor on fucking think, the day after Thanksgiving when we're supposed to be sitting here deciding which one of these teams gets to go play for a goddamn national championship. And it turns out that one of them lost a completely bullshit game. Um, it, it's, it's unreal. Um, like, in, in the Miami Duke game, like, it, it would be very fair to me just be like, sorry, neither of y'all get a win. This never happened. <laughs> <laughs> Just replay the game. Um, moving on in the ACC, though, Georgia Tech defended its its last second loss against FSU uh, by going ahead and losing to Virginia. Thoughts? Uh, Megan went to they Virginia. They beat FSU. So go they didn't have any more steam. Y'all talked at the same time. Megan went to Virginia, so go Virginia. Mm, yeah, this game was <laughs> at Virginia. That's about... That's about the extent of my giving a shit for that game. Who wants to guess how many people attended this this athletic event? Twelve. 12. 30, <laughs> <Holy> only thirty. <laughs> it was thirty-two thousand people. So y'all weren't weren't so far off. Uh, what else happened in the ACC? Florida State won. They beat Syracuse with a backup quarterback, backup running back, but it's still Syracuse, and so no one cared. Uh, North well, Carolina okay. upset Pitt. We yeah. I mean that was that was kind of a I don't. I mean, by the line, I would say it's an upset in the fact that they're a road dog. But I don't think North Carolina being Pitt... I mean, North Carolina was ranked and Pitt was unranked. I don't think that's really an upset. You are incorrect about this, I believe. North Carolina... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the reflection of this week's rankings. No, North Carolina was unranked. Pittsburgh was ranked 23rd. Sorry, yeah. This now, week, North Carolina's... My bad. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I I don't know. Um. Yeah, I mean North Carolina is what now seven and one. Yeah, and their one loss is a week one loss that's still a fluke to South Carolina. Yeah, just imagine they what c- kind of crappy situation we'd be in if North Carolina was eight and zero, though. <laughs> they could very well be a decent team. Um, also, we had a bit of a shootout between Clemson and North Carolina State. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always kind of tough, I think, to get a win out of in when you're playing at North Carolina State, even if you're the better team. And it was a bit of a shootout, but. Yeah, uh, Clemson looks to probably be the best team in the country. 
Definitely. Um, I, I would rank them number one. Andy, would you have a number one? Yeah, probably. Just because, well, yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> resounding. Resounding. A resounding yes. sure. <laughs> Moving in purely off but according here, we're going to hit the Big 12 real quick. Uh, the winning teams in this week's Big 12 action scored... 40, 62, 70, and 24 points. But don't let that 24 fool you. That was good old Iowa State blanking Texas. 24 nothing. Really, like Texas, I guess they've had a bit of like a uh, resurgence lately, kind of getting behind Charlie since the Oklahoma win. Yep. This has to be so demoralizing. Yeah, 3 and 5 now. Not like, heading for anything good. They're back to where they were after the TCU loss now, I think. And they closed the season with, holy hell, well, you get Kansas, so you know that's four and five. You get at Western West Virginia versus Texas Tech at Baylor. So after our, Kansas, there isn't a like identifiably winnable game out of those. It's a rough slate for those guys to try to make a bowl. Um, I won't talk about the basketball score game though. Oklahoma State seventy, Texas Tech fifty three. Oh boy, yeah, that. I guess that was kind of interesting because we've seen. Not too much from Oklahoma State, even though they've been, you know, uh, undefeated top 15 team. But I think there was maybe like they had a decent defense and we knew that. But there was maybe some questions about how the offense would perform. And holy shit. <laughs> yeah. 70. Actual 70. 10 touchdowns. 10, 10 entire touchdowns. They in this in the first quarter of this game, there were six scores and four passing touchdowns. So I think if you bought a ticket to this game you actually have to buy a ticket to another game and not go to it because you basically got two football games worth yep yep anything this... else in the big 12 before we hit uh home of wisconsin big 10 well let's see uh tcu beat west virginia oh really surprising there baylor wisely took a bye week went to kind of let Jarrett stidham to be honest a bit more rest no more difficult than their other opponents so far no more difficult, no more competition than any of their previous opponents. So good on them. Good um, on them. Continuing that schedule. Yeah, uh, we can move on to the Big Ten. All right, let's just get Wisconsin out of the way. Talk about Wisconsin, Pat. Okay, so we talked about last week on the pod how uh, Joel Stave got hurt and there wasn't... You've started a wide receiver at quarterback. That's, again, that's... Hey, Georgia started a quarterback at punter, for real. Again, Andy, that is the wrong person, but that's okay. Uh, Joel Stave got injured last week, came out of the game. Bart Houston came in. We had a little bit of a discussion about whether Houston or Gillins, uh, what, who you kind of go with in that situation. Uh, Houston only passed the ball twice. Um, Stave was in the game for the majority of the, the day. And also coming back, uh, Stave didn't have a great game. It was 13 for 25, 200 yards touchdown and two interceptions and his interception gave Rutgers their lone touchdown with a pick six so uh, he made some kind of nice plays here and there he had a nice uh, fourth down conversion for a touchdown in the big 10 that's unheard of Um, but overall kind of a lackluster game coming back from Joel Stave especially against Rutgers who is by no means a great passing defense Um, But the big news was Corey Clement came back for the first time since week one against Alabama, and he barely played that game even, and he went 
11 carries for 115 yards and three touchdowns. So it was nice after having kind of subpar performance from the running back committee, essentially from the previous couple of weeks to get some solid running back play again. Um, we haven't really had a person averaging 10 yards per carry since Melvin left, left last season. So that was great. Um, and the defense played fantastic. Uh, Tanner McAvoy, who is the quarterback turned receiver turned defensive player. And mm. um, turned quarterback. Yeah. No incorrect. He had an interception. He <laughs> yeah. You got well. that wrong. He's doing pretty well on defense. Um, Joel Schobert. Is he punting yet? If he's not punting, then I don't care. Joe Schobert and Vince Beagle continue to be great at uh, linebacker spot. Um, it's looking good for Wisconsin. But uh, how's it? What What do you expect to happen? What's the end of your year yes. look like? I frankly, I'm. Let's pull up this this upcoming slate for Wisco here. Let me pull this up. I'm going to be surprised if we get nine wins. What we've got here is a currently seven and two Wisco. So y'all haven't even had your bye week yet. What kind of barbarian football nope. is this? We we have our bye week in two weeks. Jesus Christ. You, you played know. five games in October. This two is a weeks. Death, this is a fucking death toll. At Maryland, uh, that's your eighth win. Yes. At home against Northwestern and at Minnesota. You don't think they're winning two of these three? I think we... I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if we dropped the last two. Um, I would certainly hope that. Uh, okay, I should rephrase that. I went into that thinking before the Jerry Kill news with the interim coach. Yeah, we probably pick up the last. Uh, we probably pick up two of three. I'm a little worried about Northwestern. Yeah, but. I don't think I don't think Northwestern is a game that you pencil in as a loss already, though. No, especially but, at home. You know, coming off a of bye, no less. I mean, I would certainly love to clean out the rest of the schedule and go 10 and two. Um, yeah, that seems, who knows that seems... if I, if Iowa can drop two of the, their next three, well, I guess they would have to drop all three for yep. us to get in. Cause the tiebreaker that's so literally probably, seems impossible, Pat. We're probably not going to the, yeah, it's impossible. So we're probably not going to the, um, conference championship, which will be a bit of a bummer, but, um, yeah, 10 and two finishing out the season, certainly respectable can get yeah. into a nice bowl game with that. So yeah, we'll get see. You, um, get yourself I'm, a New Year's Day bowl there. I'm I'm a little hopeful, but I'm also cautiously hopeful. Uh, meanwhile, Iowa went improved to 18 or no. Uh, no, <laughs> oh, that's boy. wrong. But yes. it might as well be. That's yes. a lot of wins. <laughs> yes. Who'd they beat? <laughs> well, Eddie Wynn versus Maryland counts as six, as we all know. Uh, they're eight and zero, and they have at Indiana, at home against Minnesota, at home against Purdue, feisty Purdue, who beat Nebraska. They close at Nebraska. That's a uh, you know, you know Indiana's feisty too. Indiana's the only game that seems losable, though. Yeah, this, I agree with the that. rest of this schedule is just complete trash. Um, they're going to go twelve and zero, I think. Yep, I, I mean, I think that's pretty fair to say at this point. Penn State one three nine zero. Andy, do you have any Big Ten? Michigan had a very no. close game against Minnesota. Yeah, I saw that. Um, uh, Minnesota r- really should have won that game. They had terrible clock management. It's almost like Andy Reid was coaching that team. Well, it was almost like an interim coach in his first week was coaching that game. Uh, I had fun with my Andy <laughs> Reid thing, and you ruined it. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go alphabetically. Pack twelve. And there's not too much going on here. Um, or the Beavs. Oregon lost. won a basketball score game, sixty-one to fifty-five. Man, that Oregon defense is trash. Yeah, well, the offense can put up a whole bunch of points, and that's great, but 
That defense is trash. Did they lose a whole bunch of people? What happened to them? Uh, Don yep. Pelham is their defensive coach is what happened to them. Have you ever heard of Marcus Mariota? <laughs> I guess the offense yeah, but, is fine, though. The right. offense is the fine. Defense yeah. just got the defense just got The defense is terrible. But let's be fair. How, how great was their defense really last year? Decent enough to demolish Florida State. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with just having the better offense. But, uh, I mean, I don't think they've had a great defense the last couple of years. This year is certainly the worst that they've had. But, uh, yeah, they're not looking great despite getting a win against Arizona State. No. You know, I'm. this is coming... It has nothing to do with the fact that I went to Oregon State and were rivals with Oregon. But something about Oregon just being all up in everybody's shit for as many years as they did, getting to two title games, coming away from nothing, I'm glad to see them fall back to like reality. No, I I'm, disagree. I like the I like the Oregon brand. I like what they've been doing whoa, there. Brand. No. I like what they've see, been I'm doing there. I'm a fan that. I'm a fan of a team coming out of nowhere and getting success. Brand. I'm a fan of that. Yeah. And then they had it. And now they can go back. But I think, to be fair, I think they're going to go back because I don't think um, Helfrich is the right guy to sustain what they were doing. No. It's too soon to fire him, but you could also just fire him. I think I think <laughs> next year is his... Um, I think next year is the year that Muschamp had his second-to-last year where pretty much everyone was kind of calling for the firing, but it didn't actually happen. I'm not. I'm not lying when I say this. They have scored exactly 61 points three different times this year. <laughs> the offense is clicking. The defense is not. <laughs> this is bizarre. Um, um, UCLA narrowly beat Colorado. Yeah, I is, think. I think UCLA. What is going on with that team? Yeah, they gotta have a true freshman quarterback. That's what's going on. I, I, I want to talk about. So. I think we should talk about Stanford. Stanford has a, a very decent chance to be ranked as the highest ranked one loss team. Uh, tomorrow night when the college football playoff committee releases their first playoff rankings. It's either going to be them or Notre Dame or Alabama. <coughs> not, just, not just that, but they have a very decent chance of being a playoff team. Absolutely. Uh, they have they they just won a, a squeaker, but they finish at Colorado at home versus Oregon, at home versus Cal, and then and at let's home say, versus let's Notre say Dame. The squeaker was against Wazoo, who yeah. that's never easy to play there. No, and that's a five. That was a five and two team, uh, and they're coached by Mike Leach. So it's like, I mean, what are you gonna do? They're gonna they're gonna throw for, for some for some yards on you. Yep, absolutely. Um, should we uh, talk about our good buds in the AAC? Uh, well, yeah, I was gonna go SEC, and okay. it yeah, ties we can in. Do that. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, now you got me all flustered. Uh, <laughs> in the SEC, Florida beat Georgia. We talked about that significantly. Um, it was great. It was awesome. Texas A&M beat South Carolina. That was a win that Texas A&M really needed. Arkansas got a hard-fought hold victory on, against Tennessee Martin. What? I do want to talk about Texas A&M, A&M briefly. What is it. going on with their quarterback situation? They found one. But, I mean, they figured the, fact, it out. the fact that it took Where'd them until it? this week to figure it out. And Kyler Murray, there's been rumors of a little bit of a rift between him and the offensive staff. An the Oculus coaches. rift? Hmm. Thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> can we put can we put a soundbite of like a hair metal guitar solo when I say riff? Um, Kyler Murray completed <laughs> twenty of twenty eight, but it was against South Carolina. Is yeah. the bad news? Uh, 
Um, let's look at South Carolina's recent outcomes against Georgia. They let they let Grayson Lambert throw twenty four of twenty five. Well, that's that's Holy hardly moly. that's hardly recent <laughs> against. Um, <laughs> That's UCF. week three of the season. <laughs> UCF's quarterback even threw through twenty of thirty-five. Yep. Uh, let's get let's get down to oh, they lost Vanderbilt. They lost to Missouri, which okay. This, Ooh, this Missouri's so touchdowns are now the missing child on the side of milk cartons. <laughs> well, Georgia same too. thing we said for yeah. Georgia. Let us know if you f- find them. Um. Drew Locke oh, completed which, twenty-one by the way, of twenty-eight in that game. Breaking. Boop 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 boop. Nope. Maddie Maddie Mock out for the entire remainder of the season. What did he do? By the definition of breaking news, that was not breaking news. That came out way before we started recording. Right, but it came out today, I believe. No. Well, Pat's hour old news. All right. Um, Houston beat Vanderbilt thirty-four to nothing. Houston's a good team. Vanderbilt's not Vanderbilt's good. Vanderbilt's a bad man. team. Well, Vanderbilt does have a very good defense. They do have a very good defense. They have a very poor offense. They are the inverse of Oregon. Um, I'm looking at the top performers from this game. This is just how my app works. There's no passer. There's no quarterback listed for Vanderbilt. What does that mean? (laughs) The Vanderbilt quarterback was... Oh, my God. Two of them played. They ran the Wildcat all game long. One of them was two of nine. The other one was three of 11. That's not they were good. both the bad tree on Harris. <laughs> <laughs> Holy hell, man! This All is right. that's so bad. They were both the bad tree. Um, um, yeah. Ole Miss, Ole Miss narrowly beat Auburn. Um, <sighs> Auburn. Both I think, those teams kind of. I don't know what's going on. You know, Auburn's Auburn's getting a little better. They're getting a little bit better, but you know they're they're one week away from another total collapse. Um, who who they got lined up this week? They got. Presumably A&M? a school from I mean, the SEC A&M, West. A&M, Auburn, that'll be uh, who the hell knows what'll happen. Okay, I mean, A&M, Auburn could easily win out until the final week and just get destroyed by, by Alabama. I have a, a strong feeling that Alabama's going to win that game by six or seven touchdowns. Oh, sh- at least. Is it at Auburn? It's at Alabama. Oh, my God. They're, they're literally... No, no, I'm sorry. It is at Auburn. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, if that game was at Bama... Auburn should not go because it's questionable whether their football program would return. Um, uh, Arkansas, the, Arkansas put up 63 against Tennessee Martin. We do have to talk about the AAC super quick. Memphis beats Tulane 41-13 to after, you know, they go into halftime not winning. Not looking great. Yeah, 15-13, to and they poured on more points after halftime. Um, and Temple lost to Notre Dame 24-20 in a game that I watched. And, you know, Temple Temple's a pretty good football team. They have a really good right. defense. It was, it was closer than the score made it, it was seem. A, even, I mean, even score, though it's a close score. score was four but, points. <laughs> yeah, it, it seemed like a closer game. Like, it, it, it did come down to the last last couple plays. I mean, when did Notre Dame score that last touchdown? There was like two minutes left yep. or something. It was uh, their, their big receiver, uh, their tall, the tall dude, uh, Will Fuller. So right, I mean, it it was a fun game. Left, yeah. Right now we got just looking ahead. Next week, <coughs> Memphis is playing Navy. Who I Blood mean, Navy's, Navy? No, no, not Blood this year. Bath. Not this year. 
Navy, it, they're doing solid. They're six and one. No, that's what I'm saying. They have a running back who's run for a gajillion yards or I, something. I right? meant bloodbath in the sense of two teams beating the crap out oh, of each other. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Agreed. Okay. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then we go into Navy or uh, Memphis Houston, which is probably going to decide which one of these teams will potentially go undefeated, potentially be a New Year's bowl game player. What time is that game? Do you know? It's not Memphis announced yet. In Houston, it's not announced. There, there aren't that many games that are outside of Florida games that I consider can't miss television. Um, Memphis, Houston will be one. If, especially if, I mean, we're obviously gonna all be together that weekend. We're gonna be at Scar for the Scar versus UF game. If this is a, a night kick, I absolutely want us to all be in front of a television, gathered around sure. like a true right. family, watching the goddamn American Athletic Conference. Sure. I mean, Memphis, there is a good chance, though, that come... Intentionally watching. Yes, come, on purpose. Come two weeks from now, both Memphis and Houston could be one-loss teams. That's not where we're hoping for. I certainly hope not, but I just want to put it on the table, just slide it in there. Yeah, you're right, possible. though. Memphis has Navy, Houston has Cincinnati, uh, good old Temple has SMU. So uh, the AAC continues to be Wide sne- sneaky, sneaky, really good football television, though. Yeah. What are the chances that there's no AC, AC team in the polls at the end of the year? Wait, AAC? AAC. I think if they all knock each other off, 100%. No. Right. I disagree. If each of those teams ends up with one loss to each other, I don't think any of them get in the top well, in the I, ranking. I think, yeah, I think I think you could be right because Temple has already lost, even though it's Notre Dame. Uh, I also think that Memphis might be able to stay in the rankings if they lose to Houston. That specific matchup, though, is the only well, one to, I can I For can say. all the teams to go in with one loss, it would require... Um, well, yeah, no, I, okay. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward with that conference. That's certainly one of the more, um, out of all the conferences, it's one of the more open ones. And it's one of the more ones that has potential to kind of shake things up. So, yeah, I'm especially scared of a doomsday scenario in which Ole Miss manages to win the SEC, uh, while Memphis has beaten them early in the By season. By the transitive property, Memphis is a better team than Alabama. Memphis wants Bama. <laughs> I, I say we let them have them. <laughs> but yeah, honestly, go for it, dudes. Um, yeah, I don't want Bama. No, they can take it. I've never wanted Bama, and I never will. Um, let's do week 10, pick some lines real quick, get out of here. Let's do it. Let's start. This is going to be a good week. It's a it's a heck of good a heck of a good week, Fiends. Uh, number seventeen, Florida State at number three, Clemson. This line is insanely high to me. Clemson favored by twelve and a half. No, Andy. No. <sighs> it's so it's so tempting, right? Lock it in. Lock it yeah, in. Yeah, it's so tempting. I mean, I'm gonna take FSU just because it's you take it's you take rivalry the, you game. take the points. Or do you take them to yeah. win outright? No, I take the point. I don't. I don't think FSU wins the game okay. at all. Okay. No, mm-hmm. I think it's a three to seven point win. Uh, I think Clemson covers Clemson. and then some. But th- wow. I'm not going to be shocked if that happens at all. Well, will either of you be shocked if Florida State just wins? Yes. Yes. Really? Yes. Doesn't yes. this seem like a thing that would happen? Do we? Do we know if no. Wilson will be back? 
let's say he's back. Let's say that him and Dal- Dalvin Cook both play. If Golson's think... back, I think they win. If McGuire's in, then who knows? Because McGuire played very well. Wait, you think if Everett Golson plays, what? then Florida State wins the football game? No, no, no. I think if Golson w- plays, then Clemson wins the game. If McGuire plays, then who knows? I, I, I see what you're saying because McGuire, Everett Golson has been pretty much the game manager, but McGuire just likes to throw the ball up. He's more of like a Rex Grossman, like, let's see what happens. And it, it worked <laughs> very well for them um, last week. Playing, to be fair, one of yes. the absolute worst secondaries in the country. Yes, but that kind of confidence, you know, that helps out. I would be. I don't think Florida State has a chance to win either way. But It's interesting. I, I, I think I'd give Florida State a little better chance, definitely than Pat, probably than Andy. I'm almost tempted to take them to win outright, but I, I Clemson is very good. So, I'm thinking. Right. I'm thinking we have like a 41-24. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna take. Uh, let's say Clemson. I think it's closer than 35-21. Clemson. I'm gonna go just above the spread. Two touchdowns and one of those touchdowns is scored in kind of garbage time. All right. For, 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 I'm sorry. One of those touchdowns on Florida State's end is scored in garbage time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. Let's do TCU Oklahoma State, which is a game that has an over under of 79. Um. That's insane. Oof. Uh, TCU is favored by only five, and let's look at this. This game's at Oklahoma State. That explains you, the the spread a little bit. Do you take the over the under there? Seventy nine, huh? I take. I take the. Uh, I take the over. So hard. Yeah, honestly, that's only forty to forty. Yeah. Uh, definitely the over, actually. Yeah, I guess you're. I right. mean, I would put a hundred dollars on the over. <laughs> I wouldn't put a hundred dollars on TCU, although I picked TCU in this one. Uh, I'd pick. I take TCU. Yeah, also, I also. But... I also take TCU. TCU, but the potential is there. Um, I feel like Oklahoma is one of the most, um, just unknown teams this season. They they haven't really played any national spotlight games so far outside of, kind of last week. Uh, yeah, it'll be. Very fun game to watch. I, I want you to do me a favor, Pat. I want you to to, to to somehow note what we're about to say. I want all of us to guess the score of this game. Oh, God. Yeah. Let me pull it up. Let me pull Andy, up my, my notepad. Andy, you want to you wanna go f- take first crack? Uh, no, I don't. Okay. Pat, do you want to go first? Uh, Sure. Okay. <clears throat> oh, what am I feeling here? I'm feeling a uh, hot and juicy. Um, interesting, mm, interesting. Mm, mm, mm. I'm feeling 53. That's not high enough. 53 TCU. <laughs> 53 TCU. Like, hmm. 38. Okay, state. You are severely underestimating. The fact that both of these teams have so-so defenses and really good offenses, right? I I I think it's you got to be a step up from both of those. You got to be like sixty-three to fifty-eight or something. Is that your three TCU? Yeah, All right. I TCU wins. Give me TCU seventy-three. Oh boy. Give me Oklahoma State fifty-seven. Oh boy. I can't. Yeah. Willingly. Yeah guess that somebody's gonna score 70 points though 70 points is just too Oklahoma much. State literally just scored 70 points <laughs> yeah but that's like one of those fluke things like Drew Brees throwing for seven touchdowns yeah it happens but it doesn't happen that listen often. buddy all right we got it locked in we got our guesses locked in we'll see come Saturday what, um, what, do, what do we want to do next stay, year well staying in the big 12 I do sure. want to talk I kind of 
mentioned it briefly. And by the way, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Miller Lite. Thank you, Miller Lite. Not our sponsor. Pilsner, crisp and refreshing. Um, Note, not literally a sponsor. I would like to talk about on Thursday, Baylor, Kansas State. I was looking for Baylor. No wonder. They're all the way up on the Thursday part. Jarrett Stidham. I don't understand how these big time programs are playing games on Thursdays. It's off a buy. You you sound like such an old man. (laughs) People that need their fix will watch a game on Thursday night. Yeah, but that's my point, is they'll watch any game. Yeah. Why are you putting no. a good team Wait, on I'm, Thursday? I'm not watching Ball State, Western Michigan. I'm not Listen, watching that. On a Thursday? I'm not watching that. Oh, I'm absolutely watching Ball State. You're, you're both getting ahead of yourself. Northern Illinois and Toledo play tomorrow. Whoo! Oh, I'm oh watching that. So is Toledo still undefeated? Uh, It depends on what your defi- definition is. Yes, they are. My definition is they don't have a loss. That's that's what they have. Okay, no, no losses. <laughs> then yeah, I'm gonna watch that because that'll be my first chance to see them this season. Yeah, I'm um, not watching that. There's literally zero percent chance. I'll watch it. Uh, Baylor, Kansas State come Thursday. Jarrett Stidham's first starting performance. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely gonna be a game to watch. Baylor favored by seventeen and a half. The game is at Kansas road favorite. State. Road favorite. Yeah. Um, this is an easy one for me. Baylor beats that spread. Uh, oh, I think sure. it's gonna it's gonna be a little more plug and play than a lot of people are thinking. This spread is way too low for Baylor. This spread Kansas needs to be State, like twenty eight. I'm not sure Kansas State is a real team this uh, season. This season they have they have players. Four straight losses. Well, yeah, there was a rough October for them. They I, got demolished by Texas. <laughs> I definitely think. And Jared Stidham, sure, he's a true freshman. Has never started a game. He maybe has the most weapons out of any team in the country, and he is the guy that they've said by all accounts is the future of the team. So I think yeah. I think they light it up. Andy, what do you got? You, I mean, you got to take Baylor, and you got to expect them to cover. I think you're right. I think the spread's too low for Baylor. Um, I want to talk about real quick, just real quick. We don't actually have to talk about this. It's kind of trash that the Big 12 gets to play its games until December 5th. Um. Oh yes, they the all these teams get two bye weeks. Terrible, stupid. Add add. Okay, this is a conversation topic, and we can take away a little bit from some of the upcoming slate of games. So there are a couple that I do want to talk about. Alrighty. As the Big Twelve commissioner, um, you need to add two teams. Who are yes? Who are? Can I can I explain why? Okay, hold on a second. Let me ask okay. my question, and then you can explain. Who are two teams that the Big 12 courts? And now you can explain why you don't think so. I'm going to say real quick, right now they have a television a television deal that is worth a lot of money that has to be divided by 12 instead of... No, sorry. That has to be divided by 10 instead of by 12. Um, they don't have to pay to host a conference championship game, which is... a a game that usually makes the conference no money at all because unless you're the SEC championship game, it's usually not sold out. Um, and they cost a lot of money to put on. Um, those two things by themselves, along with the fact that, that on most years, the big 12 is going to be able to get a team into the playoff and get that. Well, they playoff did last money. year. I know I'm saying on most years, uh, you would expect that the big 12 as one of the five major conferences would have a team in the playoff and get their share of that revenue as well. Um, 
monetarily, I don't but, think they okay, need it. I, I think I, that they will be pressured to add two teams, and they absolutely will within the next five years. Yes, I, I understand what you're saying. You're, you made some good points, but out of all, of, we got four slots. Out of all of the other Power Five conferences, we we have. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but we have conference championship games. No, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I was, the American. I was curious. It should I wasn't be. sure about the ACC there for a second, but yeah. Yep. I mean, are any of those other conferences, if you have a one-loss or an undefeated conference champion, there's no room for the Big Twelve then. Um, I think exactly, just that other game against another worthy game. opponent. I think that takes them away from because I well, mean, look, I mean, you, look at what the Big Twelve did this year. They made their own conference championship game. Baylor and TCU happens on November 27th. It is the last weekend of the regular season. If one of those teams goes undefeated, there's a 0% chance that they're getting left out. And we'll see if that's something, if like the te- if the conference making its own championship game by having the two biggest teams play each other earlier in, or later in the season, if that's something that works. I don't think that's something that the committee acknowledges. Uh, I mean, they're going to acknowledge a champion of the Big Twelve. Like, I don't think. Well, yeah, but I don't think it's something that's acknowledged at the level of an. an oh, sorry. I don't think that's something that's acknowledged to the level of a conference championship game. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, and it also it might not work for them because one of those teams might obviously lose before then, especially since the third yeah. and fourth best teams are kind of sneaky good. No one expected those Oklahoma State or uh, Oklahoma to be as good as they are, but. Just think about how poorly this would work in any of the other conferences. Like, what would you have had, like, USC and Oregon? <laughs> or, like, you probably would have had, like, Alabama-Georgia, um, which only works one way, I guess. Um, so you said you said you think it would happen within five years. Um, yeah, I who, think they'll add two teams, let's, yeah. Let's go through some hypothetical teams that could let's be possible it. candidates. I think potentially in this isn't necessary i think the two ones that we're looking at right now and this might be just a flavor of the minute kind of deal but memphis and houston the problems with those two are the big 12 already kind of has the houston market tapped and memphis is that really a market um i think you're correct in saying that that is a little flavor of the of the year e uh i think that those teams would have a much better chance of getting in if the Big 12 holds off on it a little bit and they both make good coaching hires. Yeah. Uh, Because then you become a school where a coach can stay. Uh, I do think one of my topics is... Because let's get serious. Fuente and Herman are leaving in the next... within that five-year period. Absolutely. If they're not leaving at the end of the season, then they're leaving at the end of next season. Yes. Uh, This feels like a reach geographically... UCF would be really high on the list. I was going to say UCF. And yeah. I yeah. I think that was my first. I think the the geographic argument. Now obviously like the Pac-12 isn't going to take someone from New York or something, but I think the Pac or the Got to ge- get that East Coast market. I think the geographic <laughs> argument is weaker than it used to be. I think that I mean the Big 10 took a team from Rutgers just to get that New Jersey, New York area market. Mm-hmm. Um we have the SEC taking work. teams in Texas and Missouri, um, you know, it's. I think that argument of the markets, so to speak, is kind of, or the um, not the markets, but geography is kind of dying away. I think UCF is a good choice for them tapping into Florida and um, 
Orlando. Orlando area. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna disagree more, but then I realized that West Virginia is in this conference, and that's already an East Coast team. And I also think another potential um, candidate is maybe Colorado State. They aren't they in the pack? Colorado State is not. I think Colorado they are. is. Oh. Huh. Colorado um, State, I believe, is in the Mountain West. Okay, Andy. Who? who I think you're who, right. Who's Pat. your uh, Who's your picks? Mine. Mine was going to be UCF. Okay. I mean, yes. Aside uh, from this confirmed year, Colorado State is in the Mountain West. Thank you. Yeah. Aside from this year, UCF's been making some pretty big strides in terms of their facilities and their football program and all that fun stuff. So it, they just seemed poised to make that jump to be like halfway decent Florida team that isn't, you know, USF and, but you know, you're not going to grab anything of Florida caliber. So it's like a good yeah. middle ground, but this year I think hurts them a little, not cause they're bad, but they're like terrible and they don't have a coach right now. I think, yeah. and I think that's something that you, you know, you look at the UCF fandom around Orlando isn't like, it's not obvious, right? Like Orlando city magic, those things are much more obvious than UCF is. And UCF stuff has been getting bigger and more popular, but a season like this really hurts you. I mean, it does, but I think, even, I think just by, I think the market does a lot. I mean, Rutgers was hardly a powerhouse before being brought into the big 10. Yeah, but it didn't work. And, like, and they, if you they look did at, not, they as, did not get the New York market. Sure. But as yeah, and that's why as a university, because I would imagine they're going to be in the conference for more than just football. UCF isn't a terrible basketball team. I mean, they have other sports no. that they could add to the Big Twelve table. Um. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It it's weird. It depends a lot on the coach that they hire. I think. Um, some other quick names to throw out from the AAC: uh, East Carolina, South Florida, Cincinnati, SMU would make a lot of geographic sense. Um, so yeah. would Cincinnati. East, East Carolina is a good one. I didn't think of that, but yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, who's independent these days? Uh, no one. Um, Temple's good. Temple's a good uh, good choice. Um, I, I don't think they they dip into the Sun Belt. That's too low. No, I don't think so either. The Sun Belt. Mac? Who we got in the Mac? Oh, I mean, Boise. Oh, you know, uh, we got to talk about Boise. Northern Illinois. Boise never changes. I don't, I don't think Boise I don't think Boise is a team. Northern Illinois is an interesting choice. That's not a bad choice. Tap, tapping in the Chicago market. Not that Northern is, or not that Chicago is a huge college football market by any means, but um, yeah, Northern, their only competition is Northwestern, who could be a, you know, kind of rare success this season. Northern has had sustained mild success for the last couple of seasons. That would I think that's a decent choice. Man, if you're if you're Boise State and the Big Twelve does expansion and they don't pick you, then do you just give up? I think Boise likes it. I don't think so at all. I feel like I think if you don't get picked up, you have to go independent and try to schedule a weird schedule every year. No one wants to go play right. there, though. I think that window. Right. I think that window's closed. I think that minute passed. I don't know. They they still have a chance. They they've had more sustained success than most of the other programs we're talking about right yeah. now. Well, eh. let's pick a couple more games. Um, okay. let's do the night game. Let's do LSU Alabama. Alabama favorite by six at home. Oh man, this is. This is going to be a great one. I'm very excited. Six is too much. 
Too much. Yeah. You think it? Why? Yeah. Alabama LSU. Yeah. I think Six? I think LSU wins outright. I don't think LSU Whoa. wins outright, but I think it's going to be a field goal. Uh, I I give Alabama a touchdown here. They have they have a very good run defense. They have a, you know, they have the best defense in in the in the SEC. I would say. Um, I'm very excited to see what Fournette can do against a defense of this stature. That's what I was going to say because we were all excited to see what Fournette could do against Florida, and it only kind of slowed him down on the way to. Well, he did. He did have. Race. I remember looking it up a couple of weeks back. He did have his. Actually, I think it was last week. His uh, second least yard yards per carry against Florida um, of yep. the season. It'll be interesting to see what Alabama can do to stop him. Um, I think they have the best chance out of any team so far this season. Definitely. Uh, but I also think that Fournette, you know, that's something that he's going to be thinking about. Yeah, I think if you're that dude, you're you're kind of getting primed up for this one. Yep. I, I'm going to take. I'd take Alabama by more than six, though. I take LSU outright. I, I don't. I don't want to lock it in. Bama by I'm three. I'm still taking Clemson to cover the spread as my lock, but um, I think LSU wins hmm. outright. Andy, what'd you have there? I said I take Bama by three. Okay. Uh, Wisconsin's on a bye, so let's end with Florida. No, Wisconsin's. This is Wisconsin's not on a bye. All right. They're, they're playing thinking? Maryland. It's because Wisconsin's unranked. Oh. Uh, We're at that 26 spot. I'm so sorry. But, uh, the coveted 26 spot. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Maryland. Eh. I pick. I pick whatever. I pick Wisconsin to win by more than they're supposed to. <laughs> whatever the pick. spread is, it's more. <laughs> Literally whatever. You could tell me it's 35. I don't give a fuck. Um, yeah, we got some. <laughs> oh, Iowa State coming off that win um, against. I don't care. Oklahoma. No, let's let's do Florida Vandy and get out of here. Florida's playing but for the. We got. SEC we got one more. East we title. got one more. Sorry. Undefeated Iowa against Indiana. Big game. What's the spread? Look it up. Uh, six and a half. Iowa's favored by six and a half. I pick Iowa by more than six and a half. Yep, I agree. But Indiana, agree. like we said earlier, I think they're the team that could possibly beat them of any from the remaining in the schedule. The thing is, are you going to be shocked if you see Iowa lose at all at any point? No. That, I'm yeah, just, I'm literally just sitting here. Oh, what their remaining, what their remaining schedule, I will absolutely be shocked if they lose. You'd be shocked if they lose to Indiana. Yes. I would only be shocked if they lose to Nebraska. Oh man, Nebraska. By the way, there are there's talk of Mike Riley already losing his job, and let's just talk yeah. about how crazy it is that they fired a coach that regularly won them nine games, and they have potential to lose nine games this season. Bad job. Bad job, Bob. Very bad job. Okay, let's get out of here. Florida playing for the SEC East title against Vanderbilt. This game, Florida's playing at home, and they're favored by 20 and a half. Oh, boy. That's too much. Too, too much. Way too much. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida wins by more than that. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if we win, like, 14 to 0. Yeah, I'm with Got you. a nooner. Yeah. A noon game. Got, sure, got a, got back-to-back nooners, actually. We've got a nooner at Scar next. Yeah, I... Oh, back-to-back nooners. We haven't had a nooner all year until now. I definitely take you guys to win. I... I don't know if you cover just because... It's too many points. Vanderbilt I don't defense. know if we cover either. Yeah. Well, I think no, our defense scores, scores a touchdown here. I think maybe Vernon gets his, maybe, maybe, finally. Oh, I hope. 
I was going to say, I don't think it's necessarily their defense versus our offense. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I think their defense is good, but I don't think our offense is as hot as it was. No, and I, well, Different, that's what I mean. Not. I think out of the teams that Treyon has faced so far, Vanderbilt's defense might give him a little bit of trouble. Alrighty. And then Arkansas will miss. Holy crap. Whatever. Someone's going to have to win. Someone's going to have to Bert's lose. Bert's probably going to fall. Bert. <laughs> Falling Bert. I'll be at uh, Florida Vandy, and then we'll all be at Scar. Florida Scar. Yeah. I'm looking we'll forward together. to that. We should maybe we do, a, do a, a live, do a live podcast. Sunday. Yeah, maybe. And then hopefully we get to uh, take a little trip to Atlanta. Oh, I'm thinking about it. I'm, I I don't know. It might be too expensive. All right. No. Should we uh, should we do our college majors of the week? No. No. Right. Definitely not. Um, Pat, you tried with it, I'm bugged, I, but I'm sorry. Friend of the podcast, Matt Delisle, was a big fan, so we're already alienating oh. one of our listeners. One of our sorry, own listeners. Sorry, well, it's okay. He's a big boy. That was this was college football zero zero three in the Sorry Internet podcast. Uh, thanks again to Andy Hutchins for hopping on and talking about the Gators with us. Thanks to Pat for being being know, Pat being me. for being here being me being him. It's a, it's a great life. Um, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Pretty much. In fact, if you want to subscribe to this podcast and you can't, like, go ahead and email me, Thomas at Sorry is a thing that you can email me at if you want to uh, and you and can't why why can't you <laughs> if, i don't know if, the only reason you couldn't is if you have a a droid in which case <laughs> I mean, that sucks yeah we're gonna i'm gonna put it on the google app store eventually right. um i have to read up on that a little bit um but yeah that's uh that's what we got here our intro music is by a band called echo Base. they just played fest to the greatest band in the world uh, uh well. thank you for listening Burton to Burton never happened. Burton to Burton never happened.